Welcome to Design by Us, the show where we discuss how humans design the world. My name is Ravi Chohan. And on the other side of the screen, we have Luigi D'Entrono. How are you, Ravi? Yeah, man. I'm good. I'm good, man. I'm good, mate. <laughs> that, that's how you guys speak. <laughs> yeah. Man, I'm really good. How are you? We haven't caught up in a while. Yeah, it's been it's been a little while. Um, yeah. We've we've been busy uh, in different parts of the world. Um, I feel like the sun is shining a little bit more where you are than where I am. Yeah, apparently um, super cold in London, is it? Yeah, look, you kind of went on this whole kind of thing. Oh, I've left London and the weather's really bad. Uh, actually, it turned out when you left, it was quite good for a little while. But now now it's now it's bad. Yeah. So, yeah. Damn. All right. So, yeah. So today we're talking, that's a great segue for today's topic, which is Decathlon. Product design at Decathlon, which has nothing to do with what we were talking about before. <laughs> but what it, ha- what it has to do is with London and the UK. And I really want to start this conversation because we're going to jump into how Decathlon designs product. Why Decathlon is not a thing in the UK? Yeah, look, I think, you know, you've got this massive fanboy thing for Decathlon. And I was like, Decathlon what? You know, yeah, obviously decathlon. we have Decathlon. It's not Decathlon, it's like Decathlon. It's like simple, Decathlon. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> look, look, well, they're a French company. And literature students. Well, look, they're, they're a French company. Um, yeah. So I'm guessing that both of us are getting it wrong anyway. Very likely, yeah. But, but yeah, it's like, it's not a big, you know, I think we've got other sports retailers here in the UK that kind of are more top of mind than, than yeah, Decathlon. But so do the rest of the countries. Well, you know, obviously I Decathlon's been able it. to do more there. The reason why I'm asking that is because once I told Ravi about Decathlon, he's like, but what do they like? What do they do? Are, are they important? Are they good? And I was like, man, of course it's Decathlon. And he, then he just sends me a very passive aggressive question mark. Um, so apparently, like, apparently, apparently in the UK, Sports Direct have 75% of the market share in the UK. Sports Direct has nothing to do with Decathlon. And that's what we're going to jump in right now. It's the same thing. It's the same blooming thing. No, it's not. Decathlon is a whole experience. Once you go into a decathlon shop, and you're you're gonna see, and I'm gonna walk you through the reasons why I think that. Number yeah, well, one, I'll tell you something. I'll tell you something. Sports Direct is an experience. Those in the UK will know exactly what I'm talking about. Sports Direct <laughs> is an experience. Okay, <laughs> going into a Sports Direct, same. going well, into a Sports Direct changes you, right? You know, you look at the world in a different way after after going to a Sports Direct. Not for customer. the same reasons that decathlon, but anyway, yeah, not for the same reasons, but you, it does change you. Let's go. Let's go. Start with the the goal of decathlon. And, and the, they, they say that their mission is basically to make every sport accessible to everyone. Super okay. high level, very straightforward. They're a French company. They are turning over about 10 billion of euros per year. Mm-hmm. They have very interestingly, we were gonna, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, is they have 70 sub-brands. So Decathlon doesn't really sell things that are Decathlon branded. It's just 70 sub-brands for each sport. And we're going to go into why in a bit. So what's in, what's interesting about those sub brands is I think those sub brands are probably better well known than Decathlon is. So we'll their their bike brand, their bike brand B Twin, uh, Quetcha, which is kind of their outdoorsy hiking camping type brand. Those kinds of things are better known than than I'd say Decathlon is in the UK. Interesting. Let's talk about yeah. it in a bit. And the final part is the economics of Decathlon, and that's where they're different from Sports Direct. Because they own, they are a completely integrated company and they own everything, everything from the mm-hmm. distribution to the whole manufacturing mm-hmm. ideation part of their products. And that mm-hmm. allows them to basically go down 30 to 40% mm-hmm. in all in competing with competing companies around the world. So that is 
really, really interesting in my opinion. And the reason why it's interesting is because how they design those products is the, that, that part of the process of designing the products, then designing the store, and then finally the consumer and how the consumer knows the brand and so on. And that's kind of how we're going to break down the, the episode today. All right. Any thoughts yeah, so far? Yeah. Well, yes. And I agree. Like, I get your point about them being vertically integrated, but in the UK, you can actually buy Adidas stuff at Decathlon. Yeah, in other stores as well. But that's not, that's not their main selling point. Right. Like, okay. You so can't it's... buy high, high, like top tier Adidas shoes at Decathlon. You can just buy the average standard mm-hmm. type of shoes at Decathlon. It makes it makes me look yeah, looking at the, the Adidas range that's available at Decathlon online, uh, it makes me wonder if Adidas pay Decathlon to make the stuff and just chuck their brand on it. I don't know. I'm sure there is just some dealership or some like license deal there that Decathlon hasn't been able to get rid of for a couple of years or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they need mm-hmm. just to attract other people. Then Adidas shoes are 60, 60 euros, 60 pounds. And then the Decathlon, which is kind of exactly the same, is 30. So they just use it as a comparison. They don't sell as much, if that makes sense. Okay, That's that's how yeah. I would see it. But what is really interesting is how they break down their products. And they apparently they break down their user personas, which we have talked about for in a bit, is they have two main ones, which is a competitor. And then there's also the Explorer. And they have a really interesting example that I'm going to read to you. Basically, mm-hmm. and we're going to use these personas to break down their product design and their pr- branding architecture. Uh, mm-hmm. They have this competitor. They need technical equipment to win and get on the podium. It's like the people that are just optimizing the most minimal detail. Let's say if you're a bike rider, you want to be the top aerodynamic. So you just make sure that you're as fast as you can. Which question number one is, do technical you people like actually use Decathlon? I'm not really necessarily sure, but that's how they're doing it. Uh, part num- user number two is an explorer. It's someone that just is just hanging out, is just exploring, is just browsing the sport, and they just want something durable, something to explore that sport and then see if they like it or not. So they need to type of products, right? They're not really worried about the the being super fast or super technical or like the top of the top. So those those, in my opinion, are the users that Decathlon targets. Do you know what they call um, they, them? How do they call them? So instead of calling them personas, they call them sports mates. Sports mates. Damn. Which is quite I like funny. Them. I think maybe it's yeah. like a literal translation from French. But yeah, they call them sports mates. Damn. All right. How would you call it in French? Sports. Le, less sports mates. <laughs> sports mates. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah. So basically, those are the two personas. And um, what, I, what I really would like to think is, I'm not necessarily sure the top technical athletes, and I would love the audience to just tell me yes or no, or like give me their thoughts. I don't think that technical athletes actually use Decathlon. They are just willing to spend m- much more of the money, right? I looked at their list of, of, of who they sponsor, and they don't really sponsor anyone in the in the top tier, and like in terms of the top tier of sport. So yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I completely agree with you. I think I think, and also like you know they you know in many ways it's quite cool because you know it's more for normal people, which is cool. Yeah, and and another thing is it depends how you consider. Te- just challenging my own thoughts here, but it depends who you consider technical athletes because I know that they actually sponsor local teams or like local leagues, people that are not competing for the main leagues, but let's say they're competing in the community league in Madrid. And that's basically like different neighborhoods against different neighborhoods. And that's it. And they actually play with the community and encourage the community to use Decathlon, test their products there and so on. We're going to talk about that in a bit. But they actually support those community-driven sports in mainline Mm -hmm. Europe pretty much. Mm -hmm. So maybe if you consider those the technical 
within their target market that could be that could be it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah fair enough maybe i don't know um but before we continue let's uh let's go into have you into how the store is laid out have you been to a decathlon store in the uk uh yes you have we went together i don't think i've how been to I was just i'm just trying to think if i've been to a decathlon in the uk without you dragging me there i don't think so and honestly i don't i don't think i have no how was that experience yeah. It was cool. Like it was nice. It, like the, it was large, um, and it was in one yeah. of these kind of like retail parks. So in the UK, like it's the kind of place where you need to really drive to. Yeah. Uh, of course, we found a way to walk there, <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was it was yeah it was quite large and yeah it was cool. Wasn't it messy? Uh, it's moderately messy. Yeah. Why? And I don't know why. In the UK, they tend to be super messy. The stores. Mm hmm. And when you go to somewhere in Europe, it's like this multi-story, like if it's in the middle of the city, it's like multi-story um, shop. Either it could be within the within the middle of the city or in the outskirts. In the outskirts, they're usually much, much bigger, like huge. Uh, if it's in the middle of the city, it's kind of like in the same size as, as the one in the UK. Mm -hmm. But they are just like absolutely huge stores that just have plenty of things and the whole experience is that you can test all the, pro all the products. You can start playing around with them. You have loads and loads of different sports that you can play you can test the skateboards uh, you can taste the basketball rings you can test the balls you can test everything pretty much and in short the average uh, user the average store contains around 95k different products so it's which, a bit like ikea for sports then in the sense that it's like a yeah. bit of a destination to go to it's a whole experience exactly yeah and to be honest i, I don't know if anyone else does this I'm, sure, I'm pretty sure a lot of people do but during lockdown, or right after lockdown, when things started to open up and you can just go on walks and like go to shops and stuff, I would go to the Decathlon shop in Madrid just to see what's up, just to like test something new, right? Just to see, just to, just to explore. It's part of the experience. It's part of the experience. That's why you need to go to Belgium or to whatever, anywhere else in Europe, like a proper country, you know, like Belgium. Uh, the only see, the only reason why we're, why I'm saying this, by the way, is because Rob and I might be planning to go to Belgium soon. But anyway, I'm trying to convince him to go to Belgium and maybe going to the Decathlon shop in Belgium. Um, oh, you're really selling be, it. You're really, you're really selling it. It's gonna it. be a, a great experience. It's gonna be an amazing experience. <laughs> okay. But anyway, so what I really like, what I really, really like, is that I thought, you know, Decathlon, and and we're gonna go a bit into this uh, idea of localization because my thoughts were they didn't localize. And I'm going to go into this, this idea. Mm -hmm. Localization for Decathlon, what I thought it was, is basically offering different products based on where they are. Like usually McDonald's, for example, Starbucks, we know they localize the food and they, they kind of change the product. They change the product based on where they are and the people who are consuming it. But it turns out in Southeast Asia, in Thailand, Indonesia, Singapore, Cambodia, they have the exact same products as they will have in a store in Europe. And I would be like, wow, like these guys just sell the exact same things. It kind of makes sense. Like the sports, they're done with the same equipment. Maybe they might change depending on where you are. So the sports kind of change. But if you do surfing near, nearby, like by a, by a beach or something like that, then the product is exactly the same. And then I was like, why? They're not localizing at all. At all. So I did a bit of research. Mm -hmm. And you know what they actually, it's kind of like this thermometer, like brand thermometer, localization thermometer that we, we talked about in the Scott Galloway episode. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know what they actually localized, which I thought it was interesting. The price? That's number one. The second one is the store experience. Okay, cool. 
Cool, cool, yeah. cool, cool. Interesting. That's part of the localization. They basically price is very important because they have like in people in different countries in Indonesia and Cambodia and and Thailand. They have different purchasing power uh, between themselves. Like it's it's a different price, different uh, yeah, different price, different products that can be offered in that country. But the store they adapted and they changed pretty much the size of the store based based on where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw, I thought that was actually really really cool. Because the product, the store is part of the product based on how they see it. And actually, we're going to add some of the I'm, layouts. I'm wondering, I'm wondering yeah. uh, if that's why the, the stores in, the Cathedral stores in the UK are so messy. Because we're used to a messy sports store experience. And that's what feels like home to us based on competitors like Sports Direct, etc. I'm not joking. It could be, yeah. No, I'm actually, yeah. it's actually, it actually makes sense. Uh, you're, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it actually makes sense. It's, because stores are messy just so you guys are used to it and you don't feel like weirded out by it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, anyway, so but what is also really interesting is that regardless of the size of the store, their goal is to always have 50 sports available in every store. Wow. 50 sports, yeah. Wow. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, because really some of it is quite niche. Like there are quite yeah. a lot of niche sports. So yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. interesting. And, okay. Yeah, yeah, and um, they 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 keep the lighting the same. They keep the the the, lo- the racks, the architecture of the of where things are positioned, kind of the same. But you are right; they go really, really niche. Um, and what is really interesting is their brand architecture. This is talking about niche stuff. So basically, in short, what happened is in 1997 they broke down the Decathlon brand into different sub brands, and they have been expanding. And they're doing crazy things. So one of them. For example, they have this Nabaji, which is the, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly. They have really weird names, but it's, it's the, the one dedicated for pool sports. And they're actually, there is actually a report by one of the, the product designers of that team that apparently they are, they are breaking down that pool sports section into different sports. So that you have things like aqua yoga, mm-hmm. uh, aqua fitness, the swimming range, um, the water polo, like, and they are just breaking down into different smaller niches. I think it's just like, wow, why would you do that? And uh, how would you do that? And why as a marketeer? I want to hear your thoughts. How would you what? Like, so why would you you break down even more into more specific niches? So you have the Navaji brand and then you're breaking it down into four different, five different, six different sub brands. So Navaji brand is about pool swimwear. And then you're breaking it down into swimming, water polo, aqua yoga, aqua gym, sun and whatever, whatever, whatever. I mean, I wouldn't really look at it from a brand perspective. I mean, if you take, if you say that Nabaji is the brand, right? Nabaji might be breaking down into different smaller brands. So Nabaji might stick with like swimwear. But then hold on, hold on, hold on. But that's like saying, yeah. you know, why does Apple have a MacBook and an iPad if they both do the same thing, which is allow you to check your email? It's because they're for different use cases. And like, I can imagine like doing water polo, you need like, you know the, the water polo helmet and that kind of stuff whereas like for a different type of pool sport you probably won't need that do you see what i mean like that I, I look at it as product lines rather than sub brands hmm. yeah but you still need the basics like you need like like a basic like a basic line that is like everyone needs a swimming suit everyone kind yeah. of will need like a different sort of a hat they might be the same for the amateur they might need some sort of maybe like flips or like i don't know like some some flippers some like adapt flippers not but some what's the one for the hands flippers for, for the hands we're gonna call it like that but you know what i mean right like they need some goggles like they need like the basics well i'm looking at their website right now okay yeah so 
just Google searched and Google. I've just searched on the Decathlon website, Navaji, right? 433 items have come back, right? Wow. So 433. And, you know, if there's that, that many products that like are in different things and it, it kind of makes sense, like, okay, weighted wristbands, okay, that's for Aquafit. You're not going to yeah. play water polo with weighted wristbands. Yeah, so, that's fair enough. Do you see what I mean? Like, you know, they're, they're yeah, different. Yeah. Like, you need different equipment for different things and different product lines to for those products to sit in. Yeah, yeah. I found that really interesting that they're just going even more niche than what they're doing right now. Because right now yeah. they have 70, 70 plus sport categories. So that's absolutely like 70 sub brands within the Decathlon and they're planning to expand. Yeah. They, they started with 25 on 2014 and they, mm -hmm. they have now 70. I don't know. I think that's just absolutely insane. But Yeah, yeah. And actually, and actually you've got another one here. Here's one of my favorite products from Decathlon. Nabaji inflatable baby seat buoy for swimming pool with porthole handles. It's like a floating baby seat. So you can put a baby in it and then <laughs> let them just go in the pool. Yeah, I guess <laughs> This is what right. I mean. Like, like, it's different use cases, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not all just swimming. Yeah, I guess you're right. You're right in that sense. That's good. Let's take that as a segue on going a bit deeper and this is kind of like the meat of the episode is why do they decide how do they design the products and they have all the steps that they follow we're we're going to link a few things in the, the website that we found super interesting around how decathlon makes product design and the steps they use um mm -hmm. and i would like you to join me and ravi to basically walk you through this ep three steps and explore the reasons why they do certain things um mm -hmm. step number one they start with user research okay they basically say they have several criteria. We talked about the user persona, but something that I swim, think... Swim, sport mates, sports mates. Sports mates, yeah. Something yeah. that I think that they actually do is the communities, these communities that they sponsor, these communities that they support is basically their user research department. So they don't see it as like, oh, we're just going to add a community in there. Like, I would just do like people, for people to use. Uh, it's not a marketing spend. It's a product development spend. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. this is where we learn how these people use the product. And at the same time, it's a, it's a branding branding exercise for them. So, and that I found really interesting that they basically flip that coin and say, actually, let's do our research in a very, very useful well, way that will help us commercially too. And mm -hmm. I thought that, that, mm -hmm. was, that was really, really cool. Um, mm -hmm. As well, all the tests, they also do it with them. And that's like a testing. So if you give an, an athlete, usually what they do is like they, that comes at the end of the process. But basically when they do all the tests, they give it to a few athletes and they allow them to test and see how the product works out over time and over mm -hmm. X amount of uses. That's why they mm -hmm. also use the community for. So mm -hmm. I thought that was a pretty interesting approach to start with. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they selectively, um, like how do they know what sports are going to grow and how do you cultivate communities in those areas? Do you know what I mean? I don't know if you've heard about this new tennis, um, tennis competitor. Yeah. Um, it is called Pickleball. Have you heard of Pickleball? No. So basically, it's like the fastest growing racket sport in the world. And since the pandemic, it's just absolutely taken off. And now you've got these these tennis players, obviously not like the Rafa Nadal's of the world, but tennis players who are changing to Pickleball. And there's like Pickleball leagues now and, and stuff like that. It's like, it's a bit like paddle crossed with tennis kind of okay and you know I, i'm wondering if there's a team at decathlon who are like oh pickleball is growing massively we need to cultivate a community there so we can you know ideate new products and test them um yeah. it's an interesting thing and like apparently like there's been sorry this is a bit off topic but apparently there's been fights like literal fights at tennis courts in the u.s because like a local council will convert a tennis court into four pickleball courts and then the tennis players will be like no you can't play on this like this is really bad. And then pickleball players will get in and there's literally, they literally have fights. 
size. I feel yeah. that uh, that's the same thing as Spyball. Last summer in London, yeah. like everyone was just playing Spyball. And then people were complaining yeah, yeah. as well, like, hey, can you be careful with the ball? And we were like, man, it's like, yeah only only to you when you threw it at someone like an idiot but anyway it's fine let's move on uh the second step is the product concept they basically just create a a really basic concept and what i think is really interesting here is the team that is involved into making this concept Mm -hmm. and i have a section here which is which is basically overview of our design jobs at decathlon all right and I'm mm-hmm. going to read them for mm-hmm. you. They start with a product manager. And what I think is really interesting is that all of this, they call design jobs, which is like the essence of this podcast, is that everyone, in a way, is a designer. And they're all making design decisions every day. So mm-hmm. they start with the product manager. They then go with product designer. Then they have a 3D mm-hmm. designer. They have mm-hmm. a product engineer. They, mm-hmm. they have a methods in- engineer. They have a mechanical design engineer. They have a field testing engineer. They have a lab testing engineer. They have a component and technology engineer. They have a garment maker. They have a prototype maker. And they have a sports lab R&D engineer. And that's it. That's pretty much the whole thing. What's so interesting about all those different roles is that so many are required for that manufacturing process. Um, And, you know, we might be skipping ahead in in the kind of journey that you're taking us on here. But you need people who are able to define not only what the product looks like, but then how it should be made and passing that off to a factory and kind of accepting what they give you back and stuff like that and saying, okay, fine, we like the sample, we'll go and order 10,000 or whatever. And I think that's really, really difficult because you can have a great design, but then actually getting 10,000 of them up to the quality that you want is actually easier said than done, I think. Yeah, I mean, look, and manufacturing is really hard. Like you can make a product of certain shape and be make it like the most efficient possible and like super aerodynamic super like super super good for the top athlete but actually it costs like 200 pounds to make just because the manufacturing process is so complex and you need to assemble so many lines so many products so many molds and so on so that takes a big 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 take on how you're gonna make it because it it involves Mm -hmm. everything it involves the product the feasibility the technical decisions like all of those things like pricing how much is it going to cost in the end? All of that is involved in manufacturing. So that's an interesting part. Uh, and I think that's actually what goes in the next step, which is validating. And uh, you wrote a few interesting things here. And I would like you to like just walk us through it and what you find interesting about the validation process. Yeah, it's really interesting about that part because like um, one thing that they talk about is like it's basically like seeing if they've if they've achieved the design goals that they're that they're looking to that they that they set out to, right? Yeah. And I found one really cool terminology that they used which was product benefit i don't know if you've come across that before but essentially basically it was like basically saying like this thing that we're making is lighter it's warmer it's more stretchy it's more eco-friendly than the thing that we were making before and basically boiling it down to a couple of product benefits like that so therefore they can quite quickly and easily say hey are we in the same are we going in the right direction here if that makes sense which is quite cool and i think also um you know, with a little bit of a marketer's hat on as well, it makes it a lot easier to kind of just bake that in from the beginning. Um, so you know you've got three or four things that you can really talk about and really dive into and tell a, a great narrative about because you know that you know those benefits that you, that you want to promote have been designed in from from the very beginning. The other thing that I found interesting about this around this kind of area is that they're also validating not only kind of like how it's made, kind of when you're talking when we're talking about you know being able to hand it off to a factory effectively. Um, but also yeah. how it feels. And yeah. they've got these sports labs. I think they've got over a dozen around the world, kind of like design centers, probably mainly based in France, I'm guessing. But what's interesting is that they have this thing called uh, Inside Out, 
which is a set of vocabulary. And that vocab is, is shared by all of the design teams across all of the different sports. Um, so that way, when someone says, oh, this feels scratchy, for example, I'm not sure if that's an actual word that's in that vocabulary, but let's say it is, then actually it's a very precise use of language because it's 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 standardized using this vocabulary right. called inside out. So, so um, same protocols for evaluating, same rating scales for for evaluating um, what what textiles or what a product feels like, um, yeah. which is really interesting. I mean, sensory is so interesting for athletes. Like, not not even like you need to be a top athlete. It's just let's just go with the most simple sport running, right? Like a shirt like that you wear for 10 minutes is different than a one that you wear for 30, 40 minutes that is all sweaty, that just collects all the sweat, right? Like it, it, it can absorb up to like, I don't know, 200, 300 grams of sweat, right? If you if you if you long for a while and it all the, the if it doesn't allow for transpiration, you overheat. Um, like all of those little details that how you wear a shirt in your everyday life to how you wear it after doing 40 minutes of sport, like all of that like impacts on on the sensory part. It's not only like, mm -hmm. oh, it's comfortable, you know? It's like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all many details in different states and different scenarios, different use cases. Yeah, loads of stuff. Yeah, very, exactly. Very and I think it's just really important to have, like, I think it's so many different things. It's so important to have a um, precise, precise language. Yeah. It's just and, uh, it's do the you, biggest problem. Is that, is, that, is that sensory, is that language just used within Decathlon or do you know yeah. if it's used across yeah. the industry? I think it's a Decathlon thing. Yeah, and that's actually really interesting because then I can I can clearly see the, the the challenges when a product designer and a product manager and an engineer just speak about oh is this is scratchy but they just use different terminologies and they are like man what are we talking about and then they when they talk to the marketeer the marketeer uses their completely different language when they sell it and market it and so on so yeah I can definitely see see the value of standardizing language and also it, they use the exact same language as the user right when they market it so if the user uh, is saying, i don't know I, I i don't i don't know about no. that to be honest i don't know about that to be honest i I'd, I'd expect the language is different it sounds like this is quite technical in use of the product development phase hmm, okay okay i would think they oh, okay maybe i'm overthinking it but i would think that they once they build this say standardization they use a lot of user language but maybe not maybe not all right well that's the part of feasibility and how how they validate uh, the, the actual making of the product, and they basically oh, there's one, reach there's, there's one there's one more thing I want to talk about validation. All right, go on. I found it. I found this really interesting. Sorry, colors. So apparently, right, colors. Colors are really interesting, right? Because All right. we should do a full episode on Pantone and and color standardization and what a mess it is. Um, but it's really difficult to you know make a sample in your design uh, lab in France and get the exact same sample, get the exact same color from the factory in Vietnam, right? It's really, really difficult. It's a big problem. Yeah. Um, but actually what they have to, that goes some way to solving this problem is that they have uh, rooms in each of their design centers equipped with LEDs that reproduce daylight. Um, I think there's something called CRI, uh, which is color reproducibility, re, re, something like that. Um, and basically a high CRI light is closer to sunlight, right? So basically, they standardize the light in each of these rooms across these different uh, design centers. Color um, rendering index. Color rendering index. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Um, and basically, they they can standardize the light, and therefore they yeah. can like quite analytically evaluate how their product looks like in in sunshine. 
which is interesting. Yeah. Another thing about color is that when they produce a line, so let's say the the yoga wear line, and they make sure that different assets within the line actually have a color scheme that matches each other and complements each other. Yes. So they don't really yeah, yeah. make the color decisions in isolation. They just do it actually throughout the, the product line. And I found that's really yeah, interesting yeah. because if you want to make a change, you don't make it in isolation in one. You just need to consider how will that impact the whole line. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it's a absolutely. whole logistical uh, problem. It's super interesting. Um, final step, uh, which is super interesting. Actually, no, sorry, not final step. It's a prototyping step. They basically, once you get to the feasibility part, you have two options. You either you have a go and no go. Right. That's like bridge one that you have to cross and then you go into prototyping. And here is the, the super interesting part. And I think you wrote really, really interesting notes here. And I, I would like you to walk us through it. Sure, 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 sure. So again, kind of like, you know, what are the steps between, you know, now now we're getting close to sending it off. Right. Yeah. So you've got the, the product engineer and basically what that what that person's job is at this point is to complete the products list of components. Right. So yeah. say, for example, it's a, a a garment. Let's say, for example, it's a shoe. You're gonna have a whole bunch of components that go into the making of that shoe. Um, yeah. At the same time, what's really interesting to me is that now they start thinking about packaging as well. Um, because if you can make the packaging smaller, you know, not only can you create great user experience, you know, someone opening it, but then also, um, you know, shipping and stuff like that becomes really like a big factor, and you can really kind of make life a lot easier if you get that in sorted. Um, if it's clothing, uh, then the garment maker formalizes what's called the pattern, which is kind of the, the the shapes that you need to create. And it's also the instructions for putting those shapes together um, into, into the thing. Um, and then you might also send off um, some 3D designs as well, which is the role of the mechanical design engineer. Um, yeah. So that alongside uh, a designer specifying their aesthetic intentions, that all's that, that is a set of files and a set of instructions that's then sent off to go and get the first samples back from the factory. So yeah, it's a whole thing just to send it off. It's not just a, here's a CAD file, you know, off you go. Um, no. You know, it's a, there's a big series of steps there, which is interesting. Yeah. And all the steps and iterations that that allows, right? Like it's, it's, mm -hmm. There's a section here right at the end. It's basically that very famous snorkeling mask that Decathlon made a couple of years ago that everyone had for some reason in Europe in one summer. Maybe in the US too, I'm not, I'm not necessarily sure. But basically, it's that mask that you just covers your whole face and you're able to breathe through a, a tube that goes out in the front. And they basically went through multiple iterations. And I will add a, a picture of that in the show notes. I, it, that wasn't the final design at all. They just went through multiple stages. And you can tell that it's kind of like, I, at the beginning, it's just like a Frankenstein product where you have like a massive mass and kind of like a snorkel tube, tube stick to it. And then you you start iterating and then the manufacturing, uh, the prototyping facility basically allows you to, to, to test and iterate different stuff. So all of that is, it takes time and effort. Um, have you seen the, the picture down below where you see you have all the sections? There? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I have, I have done, I have done. What was interesting is in the first couple of tests, what they learned was that the uh, the curved mask lens, yeah, uh, disturbed the vision. Like it basically kind of like distorted the vision um, and made it a lot harder for people to see. So yeah, you'll see that in the first couple, they're curved, and then after that, there's flat areas where people look through, so it doesn't distort people's vision as much. Um, yeah. which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And finally, along with prototyping as well, goes testing, which also, like as I as we mentioned before, I was planning to actually talk about this now, but it's the whole community stuff that's part of the testing once they once they do it. But they also have the whole R and D testing facility where they just like take a shoe or take a water a bike tire 
and they just expose it to to stress for a repetitive uh, set of times. That's part of it. And apparently, what is really interesting as well is that they have this section on uh, on safety. And uh, basically, they say, I mean, I think that's kind of standard in all sports, but they basically say this is personal. If it relates to personal safety, like a helmet and so on, Decathlon optimizes and focuses on obtaining the top, top, top quality uh, standards for those things. And they basically work with different organizations to get their proven signatures and so on. So that's also really interesting. It's safe. That's what testing is for. Yeah, yeah. The, the final part uh, is the launch. Uh, wait, before anything to say about testing, or should we move to launch? No, not at all. No, okay. let's 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 launch this baby. Yeah, launch is that they have kind of like a seasonal part of it, and every 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 summer, I'm actually, and this this goes back to the stores. Every summer or every winter, I'm actually really excited to go back to Decathlon because there are kind of new products, and you can see how it changes. Fun fact, there is a jacket, the red jacket I had from Decathlon. I bought it in discount because it was one of the last mm -hmm. ones. This has been one mm -hmm. of the best jackets that I used throughout uni and it still works. It's perfect. And my dad has been trying to find it. He couldn't find it. Because yeah, It doesn't exist. That, yeah. Decathlon doesn't make yeah. it anymore. But they, they, for some reason, they make a bit lower quality jackets of that same standard. You can tell that the zip is not the same. Uh, the, the coating is not the same. It's not as warm. It's not the same, but super, super interesting how they just decide some trade-offs on quality sometimes for some products. So every launch is not a, an upgrade. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Well, yeah, that was my summary of Decathlon. I know like Decathlon, just for, for the listener, there is so much to talk about. And we could go deeper in like the brand architecture. We could go deeper into product design. We could go deeper into uh, the, the store design. But there's just uh, one podcast at the time. So... <laughs> expect some more episodes and some more deep dives and maybe some guests guests on decathlon um but we just wanted to have a big overview of why decathlon and how they do it and different design decisions they make hope you enjoyed this one um any final thoughts ravi no no, no. Uh, only that if our listeners enjoyed the show uh, they can engage with us by heading to the uh, description uh, of the episode and in there they'll find a link to bias.design uh, where they can find links to follow us on Twitter, uh, both you, me and the show. Um, and indeed, if, if they enjoyed the show, um, they can share it with a friend, they can like it or give it five stars on their podcast uh, platform of choice. Or indeed, if they really, really liked it, they can choose to support us on Patreon uh, where every pound that we get goes right back into the making of the program and making it as, um, even better uh, than it is. So thanks, Luigi. Amazing. Thank you, Ravi. See you next time. See you soon. Bye-bye.